obedience to his call to missions. After surrendering to missions at a seminary missionary chapel in October of 1983, my first wife and I were appointed as IMB career missionaries to Brazil in 1997. We arrived on April 2nd, 1998 with four children and Elaine pregnant with our fifth. As a career IMB missionary, I participated in the 2005 Calvary Baptist Missions Fair, and thus my first exposure to Calvary. Through your prayers and giving to the cooperative program, you also supported our work as missionaries in Brazil. Just as Naomi and Ruth, I experienced the loss of Elaine unexpectedly in Brazil in 2008. Our third son, David, was preparing to go to college in the USA and our daughters, Hannah and Rachel, were seven and 10, respectively. I sensed God's peace to continue serving as a single missionary in Brazil, and so remain. Hosa graduated from Word of Life Seminary and served for years among Amazonian River communities. Comparable to Ruth, she was known for her noble character. Hosa resigned in 2008 precisely because she did not want to compromise her integrity. Almost two years later, our Naomi was fellow IMB missionary Cindy Kennedy. Best friend of my first wife, Cindy took the initiative to talk with both of us individually on two different occasions about each other. Unlike Boaz and Ruth's relationship that developed over months, Cindy assured me that Rosa was not dating anyone else and willing for me to call her. Like Boaz, I acted quickly. Our first date was July 31st, 2010, and we celebrated our vows in our Brazilian church in February of 2011. Naomi returned to Israel because the famine lifted. In our case, on May 6th of 2015, the Lord personalized Genesis 31.3, releasing me to return to my homeland. I arrived on January 20th of 2016. Hosea left everything to join us on July 9th of 2016. Just as our sovereign heavenly father restored Ruth and Naomi and gave them the eternal privilege of entering into the lineage of our reigning and soon returning King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. I trust you have come to understand that God never loses control. He continues being God, continues being good, independent of circumstances, and continues reigning on his throne. He has done so in our case, he is ready and willing to take your twists, turns, unexpected losses, and seeming defeats and work them out for your good and his glory. May you experience his goodness in the land of the living. God bless. Oftentimes when you read scripture and you read of these events and these stories and what happens in people's lives, there is a tendency 
for us to believe, well, yes, of course, but those are Bible people, you know. Those are characters and stories. And I just wanted you to see a glimpse today from some just ordinary folks, our own, uh, Paul and Rosa, who are very much like Boaz and Ruth. And we saw so many parallels and uh, comparisons, and we talked about that, and sometimes after one of our services, they would come up and say, oh, you would not believe how that tracks with kind of where we are and what God's done in, in our lives. So I wanted you to get a glimpse of that. There's a sweet couple here, and if you hadn't gotten to know them, um, I hope you take that opportunity because they are, they are sweet folks and just a godly couple. And I love how God crosses paths uh, just as I was leaving Mid-America Seminary, uh, Paul was there, and I, we, I ne- we never really knew each other. Uh, I lived off campus quite a distance and would just come in and out, and uh, so we were at the same seminary together, and then he came here, as he mentioned, to one of our missions conferences and was one of our missionaries here, uh, which is kind of a vague memory. My memory goes back uh, six or eight minutes, and uh, so that one's, that one's kind of back there. Uh, but then when his wife passed away and uh, people immediately began to do the matchmaking thing and they, uh, they put them together. And I love what Paul said. He said, like Boaz, I acted quickly. <laughs> uh, and a year later they were married and are just this beautiful um, couple. One of the things uh, about Rosa is that he said that every village he would go to, every place he would visit, there would be somebody there that Rosa had led to Christ and they would talk about her reputation. So his admiration and respect and affection for her was not romantic in in the beginning at all, but just her character and who she was as a woman. That's been this whole story that we've looked at. And today we're going to wrap it up and come to the end of this, which is kind of sad for me a little bit because I love this story. Uh, and I love how God has taught us so many things. And uh, I, I was telling a group Wednesday night, I said, I have, there's this whole idea we're going to talk about today of redemption and the Redeemer and who the Redeemer is. I said, I have written pages and pages and pages about that. But I promise I won't, I won't share all that with you. But I hope you go back, if you haven't already, and read this story. So here's the big idea for this final message today. There is a Redeemer, and He's faithful, and He's true. He will be faithful and true to you. He longs to redeem you. And when we walk back out today, how do we put this into action? What's the next step? What do we do after today? Well, here's our application point. Stop trying to redeem yourself. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to be the solution or to fix it. Just come to Jesus. Give your life away for his sake. And watch what he can do. Wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, wherever you've been, your background, your history, uh, whatever your ethnicity, your economics, uh, your gender, all of that is under the lordship of Jesus. And he will redeem you. He will redeem you. I don't know if some of you would remember this or not. Probably 
if you're my age and older, you, you might remember when, at least when we were a kid, and we, we would leave in the morning, and our mother wouldn't see us again until dinner time. And that's when my neighbor's father, a little boy that we, we played with, whose name was Billy Ray Tomlinson, would step out on the back porch and yell, Billy Ray! And when he yelled for Billy Ray to come in, we would all go in. It was just the alarm for every kid, you know, with an earshot. But during the day, we just scavenged and kind of made our way. And one of the things we did is that we would uh, ride our bikes along these, the roads, and every road had a ditch kind of beside it, you know, for drainage. But people would just toss things out. It was really politically incorrect. If you remember that time, litter was a big issue, and there were always television commercials and, and, and people saying, stop littering, stop littering, because we just, everybody just was terrible. Um, so what we would do is drive along these roads, we'd look over in the ditch, and we would see Coke bottles and Pepsi bottles and great Fanta bottles and, you know, all these things. And what you could do is you gather those up, and we would have paper bags like you get from the grocery store, and we would fill those up with as many bottles as we could, and you take them down to the 7-Eleven or the Handy Pantry, and they would give you, I think it was like a nickel apiece for those bottles. So real quickly, you could, and I know some of you are thinking, <laughs> I know, it, but we could do that. And you'd redeem these bottles uh, for money. And we would, that was just a real common thing to do. And I know some of you can't relate to that and you think, are you a dinosaur? And, but yeah, I kind of am. But that's what we would do. Now, on the back of some of those bottles, it would be stamped, no refill, no return. No refill, no return. In other words, that bottle was non-redeemable. Uh, and, and many of the bottles you, you buy today in stores have that on them. And I know we don't use glass bottles very often. Some beverages or waters will come in that if they're kind of fancy. Most everything is plastic now. Uh, but it, you can every now and then you, you find a bottle and on the back it's stamped. Uh, no refill, no return. And you're kind of used to that. I think that Naomi had thoughts and feelings that she was non-redeemable. That she had come to this place in her life as a woman who felt like no refill, no return. She was so broken hearted and so desperate and so just at the end of things and had so given up that when she returned home and from Moab back to Bethlehem and they said, ah, oh, Naomi's back. Look who's moved back to the neighborhood. It's Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. She had picked up this new nickname for herself. Her Twitter handle was Bitter Woman. That's what she went by because that's who she felt like she was now. She had she had left with a husband and two sons. They all died in the land of Moab. And now she's left with this one daughter-in-law who is a foreigner. And she's just as broke as Naomi. And although she's incredibly loyal and loving, it just looked like a hopeless situation. Well, today, in this last session of this series, we're, we're going to 
see from the, 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 the book of Ruth what this story is really, really, really all about. After everything is said and done and you take a step back and you think, so, what's the big idea of the entire thing? It is a story of God's redemption. It's a story of his love and his persistence. How tenacious he is to redeem you. From the land of Moab to gleaning in the fields of Boaz to the threshing floor, uh, the story, and then into the next day in the, the public marketplace and the square, uh, the story just weaves and unfolds and just, and just pours out and it finds in it this purpose and this meaning all coming together in the kinsman redeemer. That's the climax of the story. That's the big deal. There is a kinsman redeemer. Now we've talked about that some as we've, we've gone forward. Uh, but I just remind you that in the Old Testament, the kinsman redeemer was a, was a real thing. This would be a relative who protected uh, members of the family who were needy when tragedy had, you know, had come and they didn't have a welfare system. They didn't have Medicare. They didn't have any kind of thing like that in place. So just in the culture, God's law as well as these communities would pull together and they would figure out ways to care for each other. And this is one of those ways where you could protect particularly your extended family. They could redeem. And the word redeem meant then pretty much what it means today. If you've ever redeemed a coupon, if you've ever redeemed... um, like my mom, when I was a kid, we had trading stamps. Is that still, we had, I think they were called green stamps. I look at you, you never heard of it? Okay, and then it's not a thing. But you'd fill up these books, you'd go to the grocery store, and for how many groceries? <laughs> I just sound like I'm a million years old. You think, I have no idea what that is. But they, they would put those in, and then you'd go to a special store, and you could use them like cash, and you could buy stuff, and you're not allowed to touch anything while you're in that store. You know, and sometimes mom would say, okay, here's you a book and you a book. Y'all can have something. You can look around in here and you can buy something with these stamps. You redeem the stamps. You get it? We still do that today. We redeem things. So you understand the concept just from the way we, we do things even now. Well, this is applied in a spiritual way, but much bigger and deeper uh, and stronger. So this is a real thing in the Old Testament. Uh, for instance... In Leviticus 25, it talks about the fact that if a relative was sold into slavery, and that was a very common thing, um, by the time Jesus came, there were more slaves in the world than there were free people. It was just woven into the fabric of society. But if you had a relative, and maybe there was a battle, and they came into this village or this town, and they they killed all these people, but they took all of these back as hostages to to serve as slaves. And you found out, oh, my cousin is in this village, or my sister's in this village, then you could redeem them. You could buy them back. So that was part of the concept of, of redemption. You could preserve... Uh, the family lineage, you know, if there was a deceased male, like in this case, in our story, uh, you could marry the widow and provide for her. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's, it's laid out there like, here's how this will work. If you're a brother or a brother-in-law and someone's just started there on their own now and there wasn't a life insurance policy, obviously, then you can just kind of take her into your family and you're going to take care of her. So you had that choice to do that. 
Or if land had been captured, you could redeem the land. You could buy the land back in Leviticus 25. It talks about the fact that maybe this in this war, this battle, this land was confiscated. You could go back and say, well, actually, that was my farm. And then, you know, four of these acres belongs to me. And, well, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Would you like to buy it back? And so they would buy this back. Now, in order for a kinsman to redeem a person, a land, or a lineage, you know, of a family, they had to fit three qualifications. There are three boxes to check, and this had to happen before this would be credible, before they were eligible to do this. Now, the first qualification is pretty obvious. They had to be a blood relative. They're going to keep it in the family, okay? You couldn't just come in and say, yeah, you know, I live down the street, and I want to redeem. No, you got to be related. Just like today with an inheritance, the next of kin, you know, if someone passes away, it's like, who gets this or that? Well, it's the next person in line or the spouse or the child. So it, we kind of understand that concept too. It had to be a blood relative. The next thing is that they had to be able to redeem. If you wanted to buy this person back, if you wanted to bring them back in, you had to show that you were able to do that, that financially you could afford to do this. And this is going to be an issue in our story. And then the last thing is that you had to be willing to redeem. Nobody could make you do this. It was one of those laws that was written but not enforced so much in, in some applications. So they couldn't make you. I mean, you didn't have to look over your sister-in-law and go, Oh, Lord, you know, <laughs> sorry, she's your wife now. You know, it's, it didn't work exactly like that. You could choose to or you could say, You know what, I'm really broke right now. I can't afford her and I've got a wife and I've got this whole family and, and then that's going to split up all my inheritance with her and her kids. And so, you, you know what, I'm, I'm going to choose not to redeem her. You could do that. Now, it was a little dishonorable to do that. It was a little embarrassing and kind of shameful. It was seen as you're not stepping up. You're not providing for your family. You're not a good brother. You're not a good brother-in-law. But you could do it. Now, in the story of Ruth, there is a kinsman redeemer. And he's of a closer relation than Boaz. Okay? Who longs in his heart. They've spent time together. All summer, they've worked in the field together. They've seen each other, and they've fallen in love. They've fallen in love with each other, and Boaz would really, really love to marry Ruth, and Ruth really wants to marry Boaz. Ah, but there's a catch. There's an obstacle. Is that there's this guy ahead of him in the line, and he's got first rights of being able to to do the redemption. However... In Ruth chapter 4, we're going to see this, that he is not willing and he's not able to do it. Listen to this. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate, and that's where all the business was done. This was like the courthouse or the mall. I don't know. Um, it, was, it was the place. Um, the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of Boaz had spoken uh, and came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Ten witnesses. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our uh, relative, Imelech. So I thought... 
that I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of my elders of these people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. If you can afford to buy this land, there it is. You get first pick. But, however, if you will not, if you're not interested, you don't want to do this, tell me so that I can know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. So he has this personal interest. And he said, kind of like, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. If you don't redeem it, I want to redeem this uh, land. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Noami, Noami, you also, by the way, require, oh, did I not mention, this is Ruth. (laughs) You get Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer just said right off the bat, he didn't say, well, let me pray about it. Let me think about it. Let me talk to my accountant. Let me call my pastor. No, he just said, first thing out of his mouth is, I cannot redeem it. (laughs) I'm not going to do that for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So he's not willing. He's not able. He doesn't want to do this. He's giving that over to Boaz, and he's doing it in front of at least 10 of the elders of the city as witnesses. Boaz steps up to the kinsman to redeem the land and the lineage of Imelech, Ruth's deceased husband. Boaz is a blood relative. He is financially able, and he's absolutely more than willing to redeem. Now, I know this story sounds ancient, and it, the customs sound strange to us. We think, well, we don't, we don't exactly do it like that. But I want you to bear with me because this story has such a strong parallel to our own Redeemer kinsman. In the Old Testament, and I think most of the Old Testament, this is the purpose. And this is what even Paul said later and Peter said later. said, do you not get why we read the, the whole Old Testament gives testimony to Jesus? It's like... Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything, all of Paul's writings and Peter and John, all of those point to Jesus. And then the Gospels are all about Jesus. It's, it's like the circles on all these books of the Bible. And in the very center of it is King Jesus. And everything's about him. Everything's about Jesus. So we see these writings and, and, and there's always these types and these word pictures of the person and the work of Jesus. For instance, in Numbers 21.9, it says when Moses lifted up this snake on this pole and, and that he goes through and there's healing in that and there's redemption, he's lifted up. And then in John 3.4, it says, you remember that story, everybody? And they all did. It says, you remember how Moses lifted up the snake? Even so, in the same way, that was a picture of Jesus being lifted up on the cross and bringing healing. He said, the whole reason that happened is so you could see an idea, a metaphor, a picture of Jesus. That's again and again and again in Scripture. Look at uh, John chapter 3, verse 14, and I'll give you this. It's already there. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Boaz is a type of Christ. His role as a redeemer 
is, is just pointing. It's a shadow of, of Jesus and this effective work of what Christ would do. Now, Redeemer, remember those, remember those three ideas? Remember the three you know, rules that, you know, well, you got you to do these or you're, you're not eligible. And the first one was that a Redeemer must be blood-related. It's got to be family. Christ became human so that he would become our blood relative to redeem lost humanity. This had never happened before. Nobody thought about this when they would make these prophecies and predictions about Messiah. Nobody had an idea of how could he do this. But it says this in John 1.14, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling with us. God became human with our flesh and blood. He became like us. And he said, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. I like that. The one and only who came from the Father, full of grace, full of truth, but he's us. He's related to us. So Jesus checks off that first requirement. The Redeemer also must be able. He must be able to do that. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold where you came in, tried to buy this back, where Jesus tried to... He says, no, you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus was able to do this. He was able because he was not only human, but he was divine. He was not only a man, but he was God. So he could check both of those. He's, he's very capable uh, to be able to do this. He's a blood relative, and he's able to do it. But is he willing? Is he willing? Hebrews 9.12 says this. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves... But he entered the holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. See, what the priest would do is that he would make his own sacrifice for his own sins. And he would be cleansed personally. And then they would dress him in these white linen garments to, to kind of symbolize how clean and how pure he is. And then he's real carefully going over. And, and there's this bull which he had to purchase out of his own pocket. I mean, he had to pay for this. So here's this bull. And he would put his hands on the head of the bull. And he would say this very specific sentence. And in that sentence, he would say, I am a sinner. And all those around me are, are sinful. And I transfer that sin. I put that sin on you and into this bull. And then they would, he would personally sacrifice the bull so that all the sins could be dealt with. You see, he provided for it. He paid for it. It was in blood. He made the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. The Apostle Paul reminds us of just this fallen nature that we inherited and how we had been sold into sin. In Romans 7, 14, he goes, we have just been sold into sin and we've been under that bondage all our lives. We need to be redeemed. We need to be saved. We, we, need, we need someone to rescue us. 
I'm just going to let you just real fast see these scriptures. And there's, there's 20, 100 more scriptures like this. But listen to this. Uh, in, in Ephesians 2, 11, it says, Therefore remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated just like Ruth from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen to this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens like Ruth, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. And not only that, but listen to this in Titus, who gave himself for us to redeem us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Listen to this in Galatians. Christ redeemed us. He bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He became the curse. It is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Listen to this. Last one in Ephesians 1, 7. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. I could go on and on. I just want you to see how Jesus purchased our freedom through his own blood as a payment. And he redeemed us. We're redeemed. I read a story of a man. He's a businessman and he owned a warehouse. And he was trying to sell this piece of property. And the thing is, it had been sitting there for a while and it had really gone down. It was in bad, bad shape, terrible shape. The windows are all smashed out. Somebody had damaged the walls. They had broken the doors. Vandals had come in and used it for just a place to be. They had built fires in the floor. They had thrown trash everywhere. I mean, the building was just terrible. It was in just awful shape. But he showed it to a man who was interested in it. And as they walked around, he goes, now I want you to know, if you're interested in this property, and it seems like you are, I'm going to fix those windows. I'm going to put new windows in. I'm going to repair the broken doors. We're going to get this place cleaned up. I'm going to paint the walls. I'm going to fix it back up. So I just want you to picture that and keep that in mind, that before you agree to buy it, and the guy said, oh, there's no need. Don't bother with it. You don't need to do any of that. I don't care anything about this building. If I buy this... I'm just going to tear this building down. I don't want the building. I want the site. I want the foundation. See, Jesus loves you. And I don't care how broken you are. And I don't care how neglected you felt. He didn't come to redeem us so that he could just fix you up. He didn't want to just repair you and make you a little better version of yourself. And I think a lot of us think that's what becoming a Christian is. Well, I'm a little better person now. I'm Dan 2.0 because now Jesus. He says, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. He says, I'm not interested in all your past, all your sin, all your mistakes. I'm just going to crucify all of that. And I'm going to build a brand new you. I'm going to turn you into something brand new. I'm not going to repair you. I'm going to destroy you. But in that destruction, I'm going to give you new life. You're going to be born again. 
That's what the gospel is. That's what redemption is. That's God's message to us. Redemption restores life. In Ruth chapter 4, the next verse is verse 6. And he says, the Redeemer says, I can't redeem it lest I impair my own inheritance. So I'm just, I'm not going to do this. Verse 7, he says, now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. So don't wear your nicest, you know, chacos or your nicest, whatever shoes you really like. Think, oh, I wish I hadn't worn these because I got to give one of them away. But that was their custom. And I guess later, if it came back on you, you could just, you'd have that sand and pull it out and go, oh yeah, I remember this. It's kind of like the contract or the signature. He gave it to the other, and then this was the manner of attesting in Israel. Verse 8, so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. You know, everybody's holding their breath, especially Boaz. And I imagine Ruth standing back there, and she's just real quietly, and she's kind of watching what's going on, thinking what is going to happen, what is going to happen, because her life is on the line, right? She's about to go with this total stranger. She doesn't know this guy, but she's in love with Boaz. But when this guy, when he leans against something, or when he sits down and he pulls that robe up, and they think, what is he about to do? And he kicks off that sandal. It's like they know. They know. You know, and you can just see the excitement. You can just see him going, okay, he's taking the sandal off. He's taking the sandal off. This is a done deal. And everybody's trying to be cool about it. You know how when you, like how many of you won the lottery this week? I was just testing you. Okay, but when something really good happens and you're trying to be real cool about it, uh, you know, if you're watching the World Series or if you watched the, the game last night, you know, uh, with UT in South Carolina, you know that sometimes people do something good and they just, they, they want you to really know that was me, that was me, you know. Uh, but then sometimes people just real cool about it. They'll make a big play and go like, yeah, nothing, you know, just, that's the way I do it. Oh, home run? Yeah, that's, I hit home runs. It's just kind of what I do. That's the way I tried to be when I played church lead softball. I just tried to be real cool when I would hit a single. You know? Uh, I know you don't believe it ever happened, but uh, there, there's something about that. And I think that's what they were doing. Like, he's taking that sandal off. Just be cool. Be cool. Be cool. Don't start jumping up and down yet. He might change his mind. Let's wait till we get back in the chariot, and then you can wave the sandal. And they probably hung it from the front of the chariot, you know, like from the rearview mirror. And just, or in the house or somewhere like that. And there's just a reminder for the rest of their life. Because I think you need reminders um, of how God redeems. So Boaz keeps this family alive. He restores the lineage of Naomi's husband. And these sons will continue. And when death seemed inevitable, there was no way out. There was no option. There was no back door. Boaz brought redemption and restored life. Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. And even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death and I was scared and I was frightened and it was dark and I didn't know what was happening, he said, you were with me. And I wasn't scared because I knew you were with me. 
And then you fast forward all the way to the end of Scripture, in the very end of time, in Revelation 5, 9, it says this, and they sang a new song. They're still writing new songs at the end of time. Still new songs. So those of you who only like old songs, mm, you may not like heaven because there's a brand new song. And it sings like this. And I like them all. By the way, I like them all. It says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Boaz is a redeemer of all of us from wherever you're from. And you know, even in their marriage speech, you may have just read right past this. When, when Boaz is, is in the record of their marriage, he calls Ruth. Now, you know, was his fiance. First, this girl he had a crush on. Then he falls in love with her. And then his fiance. And now they're getting married. And at his marriage, he still calls Ruth the Moabite. You know, later she may have said, Bo, I need you to stop calling me that. You know, I've been living here in Israel 10 years. You know, I've got my green card. I've done all of that. Stop calling me the Moabite. He goes, no, you're the Moabite. Over and over, this story reminds us of Ruth's status as a foreigner from a country that had been traditionally hostile to God, hostile to his people. But Boaz brings her into his own home, makes her part of his own family. She is his wife. God's grace gave Ruth a brand new identity, a brand new life, and a brand new future. And he does the same thing when he redeems you. All that junk, all that brokenness, all those wounds and that hurt and all those tears, that's over now. In fact, Romans 5.8 says that God, like Boaz, in that while we were yet sinners, He redeems us. He buys you back when you didn't even want bought back. But He came in and He said, I will redeem that one. I'm able to and I'm willing to and I'm a blood relative. So we're redeemed. In verse 9, He says, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Imelech and all that belonged to Chilion and all that belonged to Malon. Also, and I think he paused, and I think he smiled, and I think maybe a tear went down his cheek, and I think one went down Ruth's cheek. He says, and Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You're all witnesses today. You all see this. What does the Bible tell us our relationship is to Jesus? We are the bride of Christ. 
We're the bride of Christ because we have been redeemed. And redemption always bears witness to the truth. We're witnesses not only of each other, but to the redeeming work of God. The Christian life is not ever meant to be a life of isolation. It's a witness to the redemptive work of Jesus in us. So we talk about that. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You don't keep it hidden. There's something shady about that. No, he says, you be, you be open. And just as many were there to witness the redeeming act of Boaz to Ruth, we are witnesses of God's redemption in our lives. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Ruth, no, to grandma, to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Naomi is redeemed and may his name be renowned in Israel. It says, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. Isn't that beautiful? You need to hug your daughter-in-law. Has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap. I love this story because here's what happens. Now, if you, if you look at verse 22, it says, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David. This is how this begins. The, this is the, the child, the grandchild, the great-grandchildren, the great-great-grandchildren. And this begins to unfold. Let me take you all the way into the New Testament to see how this continued. Matthew 1, 5 and 6 says, And Boaz picks right back up the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And then in Matthew 1.16, And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. We see the scene of Naomi cradling, you know, little Obed, I don't know who names their child Obed, but uh, little Obi, and she's, she's holding him in, in her arms, and then you go all the way forward into the future, and there's Mary and Joseph, and they're cradling little Jesus. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and he gives new life to everyone who comes to him in this beautiful, powerful, ordinary, extraordinary story of redemption continues as each person confesses that and believes in Jesus Christ. And the story of redemption just goes on and on and continues to give new life. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace in Him. We find fulfillment of God's faithfulness, care, 
and love. In him, salvation is fulfilled for a sinful and lost human race. So, in Ruth's story, we see our own story. We see that we have a Redeemer who is faithful and true. Naomi nor Ruth could have ever possibly foreseen the blessing that was in store for them. Do you remember that picture just a couple of weeks ago we thought about as they wearily shuffle along, making their way back to Bethlehem? They're dirty, they're tired, they're grieving, they're empty-handed. But then this man of valor would redeem them and he would provide rest for them and take care of all their needs. They didn't know, even at that moment, that they had this secure future under Yahweh's wings. But it was there. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what decisions you've got to make, what illnesses you're dealing with, where you are financially, where you are in relationships, but you may feel like it's just dark and I'm I'm giving up and I'm at the end of the rope. Not if you have a Redeemer, and you do. His name is Jesus. Don't give up hope. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't stop. You know, in Ruth chapter 4, there's this no-name guy. I don't know if you you caught that when we're going through that very last part of the story. It calls him this in the Hebrew, Poloni Almoni. That's kind of a Poloni Almoni, okay? So he says, Poloni Almoni, which which, uh, Boaz says, and it's translated both in the ESV and in the NIV. If you're reading a verse like that, it calls him friend. Boaz says, come here, friend. You know what it literally means in Hebrew? It mean, it, it's the phrase, such and such. You ever say that? When, who was over there? Oh, you know, such and such. I don't know. Oh, what's his name? That guy. You know that guy? Oh, what's his name? We say that when we don't know who it is, and they're just part of the story. This guy is forever known in history as, what's his name? Because he was unwilling and unable to redeem. We don't know who he is. He turned invisible. Boaz, we still know. Because he has been honored along with Ruth and with Naomi in the genealogy of Christ. What a contrast. Because he spoke up. And so now he's celebrated in Scripture. I want to read one more verse to you. And then after this verse, I want you to watch this this video. And it speaks of redemption. And as you listen, I want you to think of this as if Boaz were singing it. It's a song that maybe Boaz could sing. If this whole story was turned into a Broadway musical... At some point, you'd see Boaz go to the threshing floor and the moonlight come in and he would, and he would start singing this song. No, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Naomi. No, Naomi could sing this song. Naomi should be the one to sing it because this is so her... You know what? No. Ruth. The book's named after her, 
This is Ruth's song. Because Ruth could sing this. It's absolutely all about Ruth. But maybe as you listen to this song, and these words begin just to soak and to sink into your heart, you'd say, no, it's not just about Boaz or Naomi or Ruth. This is my song. This is my song. Make this your song. Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, you will find it.